Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the edition of The Long Talk. And today I have got a really interesting one because I've talked to various administrators, I've talked to various players, I've talked to various uh, coaches as well. But this will be the first time I've got to talk to an international player and coach who's been born in a Tier 2 country and seen how they've come up through their rugby journey. So so far it's always been people who have come from New Zealand and then gone on to play for Samoa. But today I have got Francisco Jose de Formes of, um, of Chile and the Hawks um, Bay Rugby Union. How are you doing, sir? Very well, mate. Very good. Happy to be here. Thank you very much for the invitation. No, thank you very much. As I say, this is an, it's going to be a, a really interesting one because, as I say, we don't normally hear the, sort of the, 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 the early journeys in uh, places like Chile. So what is your first rugby memory? Well, that's a good one. Uh, at school, I was lucky enough that my parents made the decision to put me in a so-called British school in Chile, which are basically uh, English teaching um, schools uh, down there. And they happened to have this um, sport called rugby, which I had no idea about, you know, never heard about before. So I walk into that school at seven years old and first gym class, you know, um, with, with grab this ball and, you know, whatever we're watching the movies. You're, you're talking about the mid-80s, you know, in South America. So whatever we're watching the movies was American football. So, it was, you know, we were used to the round ball of soccer or f- football. And then we get this ball and, and then we don't have any helmets or things and we start playing. And, and to be honest, um, I was a big fat kid when I was a, a kid, so when I was seven years old, so <laughs> I was kind of the only instance I could grab the ball and run through people and, you know, smash people, so uh, that's how we all started, you know, that's how I fell in love with this game. So, uh, and uh, this is one of the things I've, uh, the, the talking with people, or talking with, 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 with coaches and administrators, it's like, at the age of seven, it was full contact rugby as well, wasn't it? There was no touch, no ripper, it was just full, full, real rugby nah, from the start. Full, full contact, to be honest, man. We didn't have 
video games or things like that to get entertained. So I guess, you know, the physicality of, of rugby or anything was, was much more, you know, fun, fun than, you know, doing anything else. But, you know, and, I, and I wasn't in just a boys' school, so also was all this thing that who was the strongest, who was the fittest, who was the, yeah, the, the, the smartest. And yeah, it was also a good thing, but, you know, it was better, you know, to be strong and fit and all those things. Cool. And so when did you actually start sort of, when was the first time you, saw, you sort of watched an international rugby game or a, or a top-tier rugby game? Did, did, did you did you watch that as a, as, a, as, a, as a kid as well, or was it? Or did that come later? Oh, this is another one. Really funny, funny. Um, so you you can imagine within in, you know back in the eighties in Chile, we didn't even have cable TV, so we just watched national national stuff. Okay, so rugby rugby on TV, nah, that never happened. And um, we were lucky enough in in that school we had um, a library, you know, with, with full of books and information. There were some rugby books there. And also, there was a video, um, I don't know, a store, I don't know how you can call it, a video club. Mm-hmm. And in there, you had, you know, some somehow people managed to bring the Six Nations, um, um, Six Nations uh, games. And this year was 1987, and we had the World Cup final, you know, France versus New Zealand. So, you know, I went to the library, asked for the video. Betamax, I think it was still, not even VHS, you know. And I went back home, put it on, and then moved from my seat, you know, for two hours. And that was the first ever rugby game I ever watched France versus New Zealand at Ellis, uh, Eden Park in you know, yeah, 1987. Wow. Uh, so that, that was me sitting there. My mom came of, came and said, what are you watching? What is that? You know, and then a couple of friends came to knock on the door to play with me. And I was like, no, just leave me alone. You know, I'm busy, you know, watching that. So that was my first international rugby match I ever watched. And to be honest, when I, till I was probably 14, 15 years old, that cable TV came to, to South America, to Chile specifically. Uh, that's, that's how I watch rugby you know through the school library and and the, that was uh, it and the videos yeah the, 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 not, yeah the the, the, the beast max big the cassettes max. That, <laughs> oh fantastic fantastic so obviously you 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 played through school then uh and what did you then join a, a rugby club in chile or um or, or was it university that you, you keep kept playing okay so so basically in those years, uh, mainly the rugby was through the British schools. So it was a very strong competition between the schools over there, you know, in a couple of cities of Chile. Um, so I played all the ranks and I was the captain of my first 15 when I finished school. And then, oh yeah, I joined right away university for four years, four, five years. And um, and, uh, and I played for, we have an old boys club it's called Old Macayans. So my my school is called the Mackay School. So it was called the Old Macayans Club. And I played through, you know, my whole university um, studies through in, in in the club. You know, that was like the senior competition. That is the national championship of Chile. Yeah. And then on in, so so when did uh, sort of international or, or, or when did you get the idea of becoming a, of, of th- that you might be able to do it sort of professionally and go and play overseas and that kind of thing? Well, <laughs> or was that more? Was that, was that more by accident than by than, than by? Design? No, it wasn't by accident. It's always it was something I always dreamed of, you know. So the the moment I watched this All Blacks France game and it was in New Zealand, I never heard of New Zealand before. Imagine that, you know. So, and and I, and, I, and I said to, you know, to my mom, I want to play rugby when I'm growing up. I want to be a professional rugby player. My mom was said, "This 
you know, there's no professional rugby, not even in Chile, and there's never anywhere in the world. So I was, um, I to be honest, you know, before this um, thing of playing rugby overseas, I always wanted to be travel overseas, be, you know, because I, my dad was a Navy officer, and he happened to get married later in life, so he got married around 40. So I didn't, when I was, you know, when I was born, we didn't travel too much, but I grew up listening to his stories going around the world when he was deployed in the UK, when he was, you know, in Australia. And I was like, I want to do that. So when I was growing up, my, my, my mates, you know, in the neighborhood of school were talking about, you know, the business that we wanted to, to achieve, you know, the family they want to have. And I was all talking about going to live somewhere else. And then, you know, rugby was like, yeah, I want to do this. I want to play rugby. So, so since I was a kid, I always wanted to. But, you know, when I was finishing university, because I said, like, I need to get a, Chile is all about degrees. So you need, you need your degree, whatever you, you, you're nothing, especially when you went to a private school without your degree. So I said to myself, I need to get this degree first. Mm-hmm. So I went to uni, but then I had the idea of, of, of going overseas and, and, and play rugby. I knew that, you know, I was coming from Chile, so it was going to be really hard to get an opportunity overseas, especially at a high level. So I, I just, you know, started looking for it. And it happens to be that there was a Chilean guy, a friend of mine, um, that was living, he had an Italian passport and he was living and playing rugby in Congo to this club that, you know, he it wasn't professional, obviously, you know, but, but you know, they helped the players and... And, and he was, you know, having a, a job and then also, you know, playing rugby. And, and he said to me when I was, you know, in my last year of university, you want to come and, and play for us? And I come on a tourist visa, play over here, and then um, just get the experience and go back home. And I said, yeah, why not? So the moment that I finished university, after three days, so I finished, I remember, July, mid-July on 2003 or four, and then three days after, I was on a plane to England. Wow. Now, before we get on to that, you mentioned your father was in the was in the uh, was in was in the navy. I see that you're in a group that's called the uh, Chile Navy Reserve. So, yep. have you have you been uh, are you have you been in part of, have you been part of the navy? Yes, I was. <laughs> I did my navy reserve officer training uh, for a year, and um, uh, yeah, I was part of the navy reserve. But obviously, because now I'm living overseas and kind of on hold still. Yep. My name is on the records over there, and I keep, you know, talking to people all the time. But I'm not officially part of the reserve. But yeah, I mean, I grew up in a navy base. My dad was a navy. I was a navy officer. He was an admiral. Uh, my brother was in the navy school for a couple of years. I have plenty of friends in the Chilean navy, and then yeah, I mean, it's it's something I always liked. But I liked rugby more. So my, that was my other option in life. I think one was sports and rugby, and I was with joining the navy. And I said like, nah, probably I want to give it a go to rugby. You know, it's less traditional. I'm kind of a rebel. You know, I want to do things <laughs> for people that people tell me I can't. You know, so yeah. Well, if I if I look at where you've where you've been. Um, in the world, so you, you've, you've mentioned you, you, you've gone to call. You end up in New York, obviously uh, Northland. You've been d- d- now down in Hawkes Bay. A lot of the time, you are by the sea. So, yeah, getting out in the water is that an important thing for you? Do you like do you like sort of uh, sailing or boating? I like sailing, boating, and actually going to the beach and just swimming. I love it. You know, I grew up, as I say, in a coastal city related to the sea and you know it's funny because you 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 know you will understand me you know when back in the days when you have no internet no nothing you know you just have to go outside the house in summer when 
and just go and do something. I just walk. I lived five minutes out of the beach, so I just walk to the beach every day and just hang there, you know, surf, try to do anything related to the water. So yeah, it's important. And and sometimes I do struggle when I'm not near the the sea for even just the chance to walk down to the beach and sit down there, you know, and just appreciate appreciate how beautiful it is it's it's kind of relaxing and and give me a lot of headspace to think about you know my stuff and it keeps me happy cool uh, well i guess we're not going to see you at the chiefs in uh, in hamilton then because obviously the, the only landlocked um super rugby side but anyway before that let's go back so you you, you had your time in um uh, you spent you spent well, at least half a season there uh, in cornwall and then um and then over to madrid which must have been the part of your life where you weren't near the sea, but uh, um, so when you say you went to English school, does, does that mean you were taught in English at the school, or, or was it all of the lessons still in Spanish? Uh, most of stuff. So until you are twelve, so when you join the school, until you're twelve, you you taught everything in English, so math, science, everything, um, and then then it changes, you know, and then you have everything in Spanish, and then you have English class, and but then you, they, they, the idea of them is to build the base of English while you're really, really young, mm-hmm. um, uh, and then, yeah, well, that school, I'm very grateful of that school, because um, gave me actually the two things that I'm passionate about, you know, so one is English, which is a very valuable tool in the world today, and then the other one is rugby, you know. So those two things are the ones that I really, really appreciate from the school. Um, and um, But yeah, I mean, I was lucky enough. To, so sort of those things, you, you don't choose the country you're born and you don't choose the, the school you go, you know. So it's, it's a decision that if someone, somebody or something else made for you, you know, and I was lucky enough to have that one, you know. So that meant, okay, so also when you moved, when you moved to Cornwall, communicating wasn't a problem. You, you already you had good English. Um, and, uh, and so you, things like line out calls and th- things you're okay with, you didn't have to worry about uh, having to translate it no. all. No, no, English, you know, I'm, I'm actually quite good at languages. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm not the best, but I kind of get the languages, you know, quite easier than, than a lot of people. So, maybe, you know, I played a little bit in Italy also. And then in Italy, you know, after I, I had no idea of Italian or anything, and after a couple of weeks, I started picking it up, you know, and after a month or so, I was speaking, I was kind of fluent in Italian. So, yeah, uh, languages, because I think, because of my interest of traveling the world, I think I had always an interest in learning languages. Um, for them, I, I, if I tell you something, I'm actually now in lockdown, I'm learning Latin, German, you know, don't ask me why, I just like it, you know. Oh, everyone told me it's really hard to learn German at this age. I said, okay, yeah, okay, mate, I'm going to do it. You know, so I'm, you know, I joined a course online and, you know, I'm doing every, an hour of German every day. <laughs> wow, well done. Um, you, you've, you've, uh, you're you're uh, improving yourself more than I am. Um, the <laughs> um, and I guess your, your first big break was playing for Plymouth Albion? In the, yes. That would, would be in the rugby championship? In, uh, or that, the RFU championship, was- sorry? That was the national one those years. Oh, was national no- one. Oh, okay. Yeah. But but yeah, it's it's so then they changed it. So those years you had the premiership and then you have national one, two, and three, and now you have a premiership, a championship, and then national one, two, three. Wow. And Plymouth was you know in the second second tier of English rugby, which is um, uh, Plymouth uh, was the national one those years. Yeah, and that was the first like professional experience I had. Yeah. You're right. In so Plymouth, in South England. So, so who, who was your coach and things there? I'm trying to think who who was around at uh, in, in... 
Oh, a legend called Graham Dole. You remember him? Hooker. He used to play for Bath. So oh, okay. He used to play for Bath. Played for England. Well, he's, he was actually, you know, he he didn't play much for English, England, but he was in the England team for a long time. Do you remember he played during the 80s when you were not allowed to sub? So you, you, was, you were all, only allowed to replace uh, in case of injury. You know, so Brian Moore was ahead of him, you know. And Brian Moore got ahead of him after, I don't know which game of a five nation those years against England, against Wales, in Wales, I think, Car Cardiff Arms Park in those years, that there was a little bit of a scrap between, you know, the front row of England. So Gary Chilcott was there and Graham Dole with the Welsh guys. I think Dorsey was banned for a couple of weeks or a month or whatever. So that's when Brian Moore jumped on, you know, and he got the starting position and then never got out of that. I think that's, I think that was the story. So, yeah, and a very interesting character because he was, um, Dorsey was a player coach still. He was 47 years old and he was still playing some bit of rugby. So, yeah, it was really hard on, on players and people, but when you were on his side, probably he was really, really good to, to you. Uh, and also, he was a very good role model, you know, because he was 47 years old and he was fit and he was working hard and he was, you know, playing tough. So it was it was a good experience to come, you know, across a guy like him, to be honest. Yeah, and you'd have had, obviously, you've had a couple of good derbies down there because you've been playing Cornish Pirates, or they probably weren't called Pirates at the time. Uh, you'd have Exeter as well. We're probably also, we're also down in, probably both in National 1 at the time. So you had... And as yeah, the, the the West Country or, or down there in that area was a real hotbed of rugby. Um, so yeah, you'd be in your element there. I mean, it's, football isn't that big down there. I mean, there, there is a, there, there is a football team in Plymouth, but it's not as but it's much more much more. Plymouth Argyle, yeah, Plymouth Argyle. Now the southwest of England is is, is rugby is, is way bigger. I don't know in Cornwall especially they they love the rugby much more than any other sports. Um, of course, it is England. You have all the sports down there, but rugby has kind of a, the identity, you know, with the Cornish people. Um, send of this um, sense, I think, in Cornwall happened what it happened a little bit in Wales. So back in the days when the game wasn't professional, you know, the you know the miners and the working class people was playing rugby, you know, and there was very tough people that play the game. So if you were going down to Cornwall to play the game of rugby, oh, you'll have some fun, you know. <laughs> So you just, you just did one season there, and then before you headed back to headed back to Chile, is that right? Or I headed back to Chile on. So it says sort of two thousand nine to two thousand twelve. You were with the, is that that's your old school, isn't it, the McKay School? Yeah. So what happened is is I headed back uh, to Chile because my dad got ill. Oh, okay. You know, so oh, okay. I said for family reasons, I just said I'm going to go back for a bit, you know, and then my my father passed uh, passed away, and I stayed for two three years over there, um, and I did. I'm actually, you know, probably for my playing career that wasn't the best, but for my coaching career it was actually very good because I worked as a PE teacher at the Mackay School. And working as a PE teacher in school gives you a lot of tools and a lot of experience to when you become a coach because you're dealing with um, a lot of, you know, on-the-go problems you have to solve uh, really, you know, really quickly. You have, engage, you have to keep people, you know, happy. So that's for those years is where is where I think I started learning the, the, the you know, the, the, the trade 
for, for becoming a coach later. But you also got your break as a uh, as an international player as well. You played against Tonga in oh, 2010. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, well, so that's the, that's the thing, you know, uh, had changed now. Uh, fortunately for, for, for the tier two countries. Uh, when I was an uh, international player, and I was the captain of Chile for a couple of seasons, we had, what, five, four games, international games a year, you know, and we always had the chance to play with the same guys, you know, so Brazil, Uruguay, a team from Argentina, which is never the starting Pumas, um, and then the odd, you know, team that goes, you know, uh, on tour to Argentina and wants to come and play to Chile. So, you know, Fiji once was in there once, Tonga was there once, uh, uh, a, a team from France was there once and we played against them. But we, we never, you know, we never uh, get the chance to play too much. Nowadays, they have a lot of international competitions and then um, also they are playing a lot, much more against the North American teams of Canada and the U.S. And uh, so that had improved a lot of the competition because as, as a coach, and I'm convinced that the more you play international, the more you test yourself against the better teams, the better you're going to get. You know, in those years wasn't wasn't the case. So I had to be happy with what I could play, which is <laughs> the South American teams, you know. Yeah. Well, according to ESPN, and obviously don't always believe the internet, you had that game against Tonga, you also played Portugal, in uh, in 2012, and then also Brazil, Argentina, and Uruguay in 2013. So, the uh, so you you were captain uh, during yep. those uh, the, the, those during 2012, 2013. You say? I was uh, uh, so against Tonga in 2010 and against Portugal in 2012. I was the captain, and then 2013 we had a change of the head coach, and I moved to the US to New York to play and coach over there. And then, of course, because I wasn't there, they had another captain. But I came and played, you know, the South American tournament that year. Cool. And the um, so the any anyone that you sort of propped against that you thought uh, did, did, that, uh, that that impressed you back in those days, or, or any famous famous people you remember remember playing against? In the, I guess somewhere in Argentina. Quite a few. I mean, uh, Argentinians. You know, when I was younger, we played against the. You know, a very good. I remember South American tournament in 2002. They put, you know, a very good front row with the, I think it was Grau, which played the World Cup. And then Mendes as a hooker was very good. Um, that was a hard day at the office, to be honest. Um, then, well, this I played against the Argentinians on 2011 for the left for the World Cup. So they had. You know, Figalo there, they had Crevy. I was also playing at the Argentinian scrum. It's always going to be hard, especially when you play in South America and especially when they, they play probably tier two nations because one thing they're going to show, you know, their strength and they're going to, you're going to, you're going to put the pressure on is in the scrum because they know they can do it. So they go and they go hard. And then when I was in England, I remember playing against the Dan Cole when he was at Bedford Blues, I think. He, he was Bedford Blues. Yeah, you know? so in the championship, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah you know, but, but back when I was in, in Plymouth, uh, good scrummager also, good scrummager. Um, and who else? So, so, well, you, so you, you, you've, you've played a few more matches than, than the ESPN has, has given you credit for. Uh, yep. as an international. <laughs> yeah, 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 true, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. The, um, and then, yeah, as you say, that, that, that move up to Old Blue in New York, um, for a season as a as you say, as, as, a, as a players player coach, I mean, Old Blue, very famous um, club in, uh, in in the USA. 
one of the where before before MLR was where you'd, you'd probably find quite a few of the American international players um, that, that were domestic based might, might be playing. So, mm-hmm. was it? Uh, did, did you have a few of the the, the national the, the the Eagles in your in your side there? Uh, we had Luke Hume, who was a winger. Oh, yeah. Luke Hume, a very good player. He was there. Um, that was the only one that was playing for the Eagles at the time. And then full Eagles. That was the only one. Yeah, I can remember. Um, then we had a, a guy, Trevor Cassidy, is a lock that now plays for Rooney's or Rugby United New York. Yep. He, I think, he played a couple of games for the Eagles, but he wasn't a full full Eagle, not yet. You know, but Luke Hume was was the biggest one, and he was a seventh player, seventh player. You know, very good one. Mm. Mm. Oh no, so yeah. Mm-hmm. So you did a you did a, se- a season there. Um, and, and then over to uh, Cornish Pirates uh, as a um, yeah. So how did you, how did that uh, move come about? So well, in in in, in New York, so he, the guy that was coaches Maryville was actually a Kiwi guy that I met in Northland back in the day, and then he. he oh, was, oh, 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 oh. So so I've, 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 it seems like we've missed part of the journey. Then. So you've got the you got the coaching job in New York because you'd been to Northland before, or you met him. At, <laughs> Afterwards, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So it was a player coaching job in in New York, more and more a player than a coach. But a lot. I, that's where I really started my scrummaging coaching, you know, in New York. Um, so I I played one season of club rugby in Northland. Okay, you know, back in two thousand eight, you know, two thousand and eight, and I was in the wider training group for the Northland, um, you know, the uh, the, the Tanifa. Yep. And I played a couple of preseason games, you know, there. Uh, and I met Mariville, which is, he was playing with us for, for Northern that year. Um, and he's now one of the coaches of Rugby United New York. He uh, he was the coach of the scrum coach for the Soundwolves last year. So I met him over there in Northland and became, you know, good friends of him. And then he went to the U.S. after playing for Wolves in England. Um, and then one year he just... Send me a text, mate. Do you want to come out of New York? I need a prop, and you can help me with the scrummaging coaching. And and off I went. You know, <laughs> off I went over there. You know, and that was it. And then when I was in New York, um, I was finishing that year over there, and then I had a chat with. I always kept in contact with them. People from the Pirates and my mate Alan Paver Papes, which is uh, now one of the coaches of the Pirates, was. You know, he became a player coach, one of the player coaches in in um, in the Pirates with Gavin Cattle, who was the other guy, and a head coach. And he said to me, "Do you want to come over here? We're missing a prop." Um, and I said, "Like, yeah, why not?" Uh, because I knew I was I was turning thirty three, I think. And I said, "Like, this is my last chance to go back into that level." And uh, off I went, and I played one season with the Pirates, and then the second season was the last one. There was. One too many, you know, that was the one that you were always injured, you're too old, and there's like, oh, you know, the younger guys were coming in through. Uh, and the moment I, I, I said, well, this is it, is, um, it was, a, a, it was a, a, not a B team. So sometimes, you know, when we, we didn't make the team for playing the weekend, we sometimes we put another team and played another another team. So we played the Cornwall team. It was it was preparing for the... Oh, the county championship. The county championship, yeah. And, and I was playing tie head, and then I was 
I was gonna turn 36 this year. I was th sorry. I was yeah. I was 35, and the hooker and the loose head prop I was playing with were 18 each other. So their <laughs> age combined was my age, almost my age. And that's when I said like, okay, this is it, man. You know. I can't play anymore this game. And then, of course, my neck was sore. I, I had a, a chronic neck injury, and then I couldn't play for a um, certain amount of weeks. And then the, the club kind of finished my contract a little bit earlier than, than the end of the season, but I was okay with that. You know, it was, it was going to happen. So, yeah, so, yeah, it was good fun, to be honest. But there's a, there's a point that you have to pack it and say, okay, that's it. Yeah, I think what people need to uh, understand is that the... Um at that level, the contracts. Some some players even play uh, have sort of week to week contract contracts, or sometimes some players can just be um, just pay as you play. Uh, so yeah, so those those contracts are not very secure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unlike the next level up, where it's all season long uh, and they're all standard contracts. Down at the next level beneath that, it's it very quickly gets close to semi amateurism. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So if you know the administration side of it. Um, yes. So you finished up there in March 2016, and then uh, you decided to go travelling. I think from from from, yes. from our last conversation, you decided to go and through Europe, experience things like the Hong Kong Sevens, etc. So well, Asia, not through Europe. Yeah, Asia. But first of that, I went to to the US for for a couple of months. I had friends that were in South Florida. I had a friend that coach was coaching a team in the in the Gulf Coast in Florida, Southwest Florida. So imagine, you know, it was like finishing the English winter and it's like my mate tells me, oh, come over here for a month or something like that. And then, you know, you will you will uh, you will help me with the coaching. So I went over there and, you know, I was doing anything, going to the beach in the day. And then a couple of times a week, I was, you know, helping my mate to coach. And from there, yes, I went to Asia. I went to Hong Kong but to visit. Actually, the before we move on to that, I mean, Florida's got some good sevens tournaments as well, hasn't it? It's uh, there, there's there's quite an active uh, sevens uh, program down there. Yeah, well, in the states, it's funny, in 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 it's a big country, and they have more rugby than people think. Uh, yeah, we went to some tournaments, and then there was a lot of people there, a lot of teams from everywhere. Of course, the level is not like you know the top level you know over here or top level anywhere but there's 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 actually a lot of rugby they have some as you said some beach tournaments are also big like beach rugby mm -hmm. you know they're also also really big some teams you know organize those um, those tournaments during the year and are very very successful and it's good fun it's more of a social thing they have a few beers and they have fun and they go out on the pace or whatever but that's you know rugby is also about you know having fun so a little bit of that is also good um, and yeah after that I I I went to through Asia, so I went to Hong Kong to visit a friend, and then Thailand, Vietnam, Indonesia, Bali, and and came back to Hong Kong that year. It was December 2016 for Christmas and New Year, and that's when another friend of mine from Cornwall, us from Cornwall, from Northland, you know, gave me a text and said, "Like, mate, you want to come over here?" <laughs> so did you, know? did you did you get involved with any of the teams in Hong Kong, like uh, either uh, Hong Kong Football Club or Valley? Or KCC, I mean, they're, they're kind of, or at least, um, that's kind of the teams there. Or did you not get involved in the scene there? No, I, did, I didn't get involved uh, officially. I met a lot of guys from Bali, Bali yeah. Rugby, and went to have a look at a couple of um, training sessions for the Hong Kong Cricket. I think it is uh, Hong Kong Cricket is the other one. Hong Kong Cricket Club, yeah. Yeah, Hong Kong Cricket. Uh, so I met a lot of people from the rugby environment, but 
as I wasn't going to stay over there, it was, was, you know, was the point of getting too involved with anybody, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I just went to visit, you know, of course, I love rugby, so wherever I go, I want to look for a rugby club to at least go and have a chat, see what they're doing. So I did that, uh, met met some good people. I'm still, still in touch some, sometimes with people from Hong Kong, uh, you know, rugby. Uh, but then when when I didn't know what to do, this my mate from Northland told me, you know, why don't you come back over here to New Zealand? Yeah. and off I went <laughs> that was it <laughs> yeah. and again here on here on a visitor visa having a bit of fun helping helping out coaching and then someone says hey do you mind giving us a hand with Northland scrummaging yeah that, that was kind of, of the way it went so yeah I, I went to visit my friend and then I started you know yeah coaching club level Midwestern Midwestern club which is a, cl- a club in Manga Karamia outside of Bangalay um my friend put me in contact with the president of the club and the president of the club said, you know, yeah, just coach us, you know, I'll help you a little bit, you know, because I know we cannot pay you or you cannot get any job. So the reason why I kind of contacted the Northern Rugby Union is because I was, you know, actually not allowed to work. So I was only doing Tuesdays, Thursdays and the weekends, you know, on the rugby coaching. And, and apart from that, I was doing nothing. So I... Contact the send an email. I contact one of the guys in Northland, the manager Brad Teara, that I knew him from before, and I said to him, "I want to do an, an internship with you guys because I have a PE degree. I love the strength and conditioning. You know, why don't you put me in contact with the you know the SNC coach?" And he put me in contact with Tim Hurst, which is the now he's actually the is the head SNC for Waikato Rugby. And and Hirsty told me, yeah, mate, you know, just come on, the, you know, you know how Kiwis are, very friendly and open. And so like, yeah, start helping me with the gym. So I started going, you know, twice a week at nights to the gym with the boys were training, the high performance group they 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 call it. And in that, you know, scene is when I have started having conversations with Topsy, Darren Whitcomb, you know, who was a head coach of Northern at that time. Yeah. And talking about scrums and blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, we had a coffee around scrums. And then he said, like, well, will you be interested in helping me with the scrum coaching over here? Because um, I might need a scrum coach. And I said, like, yeah. You know, so he, he gave me the chance to do one session and he liked it. And, yeah, so officially that year I became the assistant scrum coach and an intern on, um, you know, strength and conditioning. That was a really, really, really good fun year, 2017. I learned a lot, you know, I kind of um, um, got more comfortable with the, the, the provincial uh, rugby in New Zealand, you know, met a lot of people. And then, you know, after that year, they gave me a contract as an official, you know, scrum coach for the next year. But you've, I mean, you've, you've talked about the fact that you're, you're learning German at the moment. You've always been into this kind of good at this uh, kind of self-improvement I mean looking at this you've uh, you're a certified personal trainer from the American Council of Exercise you're a you've got your sports management from the Chilean Olympic Committee you've uh, mm-hmm. you've, you've got uh, you've, you've got weightlifting um, yes. <laughs> qualification as well uh, yeah. to, for, for, for training um, as well as obviously your your you've got your own rugby coaching badges um, and then even got uh, you're even a yoga teacher um, so I mean <laughs> it does seem that you can't whenever you've got some time off you've just got to get yourself another certificate uh, and, and learn, learn a new skill I sound like a jack of all trades mate <laughs> yeah um, 
Uh, to clarify, a couple of those certifications, I have to renew them, you know, so, <laughs> you know, my personal trainer, when I have to retake the test, I'm actually, you know, trying to use in lockdown time to go through, you know, my 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 studies and, and retake the test because it's a nice thing to have. I always liked it. So um, the Olympic lifting one year, I need to actually pay my membership to get it renewed. <laughs> and then... Well, uh, yoga, yeah, that was different, you know, to be honest, mate, yeah, I'm always looking to improve myself, that's really, really, really um, a, a thing for me, and it's more than, yeah, it's a lot of PD, professional development, but mm -hmm. it's also personal development. Yep. When I came to New Zealand, um, uh, Dapsi introduced this yoga instructor for Northland, so... You know, he was coming once a week to do a yoga session with the boys, and then we were allowed to go to his studio to. So that's why I started, you know, practicing, and and I said like, you know, you know, this is helping me, and, and then I start I start to get more curious about um, the philosophical aspect of the yoga and the mindfulness and the meditation, everything that comes behind just of the physical practice. So I started to getting engaged with that, start learning a little bit more. And last year when I was here in, in Hawke's Bay, it was the year of my 40th birthday. So I said, you know, I'm I'm birthday on 21st of December. So I knew I was going to have been on holidays. And then I had one of these light bulb moments that you were like sitting, you know, thinking about it. I said like, well, you like yoga. Why did you go to India and get a yoga teacher training certification? And then I went online, just looked for some reviews and booked it right away. So, yeah, and I went in India. I, I did the yoga teacher training in India in 2019. Very good experience, mate. Uh, totally, totally different from uh, whatever I did before. Um, they take you really out of your comfort zone. Uh, and that's when you start digging really into yourself and you start discovering a lot of things of yourself. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a... It was a very, very, very good experience, and I think I, I came out of that with a, a lot of new skills, which are not just like knowing how to teach yoga, because to be honest, I'm a rugby coach. I love what I do. I don't want to become a full-time yoga teacher training. If you ask me today, you never know. You can change. Uh, and I haven't had the change because I came back to New Zealand, and then this lockdown started. So I haven't had the chance to do much of the yoga with the boys, but but it's, but it's good, mate. It gives you gives you a lot of information about yourself and how you can help other people. Also, it's very you, good. You, you, you could be doing online yoga courses now. That, yeah. that's new. <laughs> I know everyone is doing the same, mate. Exactly. But the people I met in December in, in in India, you know, they're all making money with that. But it's it's not me, you know, to be honest. No, no, but 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 you say from from a personal point of view and also actually also professional body, the what how you're ta taught to coach as a personal trainer then how you're taught to coach as a rugby coach how you're taught to coach um, weightlifting possibly I, i'm guessing that'd be fairly similar to in some ways to the personal training thing but it's also personal training to, to rugby then to yoga it's three different three distinctly different styles of coaching so when you're dealing with somebody and you're finding that your message is not getting across you have some other strings to your bow as to how to get that message across and how to train uh, and so having those different styles uh, will all, will yeah will make life will will make you a better coach by looking at things from taking well, things different different sports. To, to, I mean yeah you're totally right. I mean at the end of the day we're all humans and we have all trends of behaviors that we can you know uh, attack and try to change. Uh, 
reframing reality and changing reality is basically what all, all coaching is about, you know, so it's, it's becoming, creating a new reality better than the one that you had before is, is basically, you know, in a nutshell what coaching is <clears throat> and helping people to develop and and, and, and um, perform better is the other one. Um, the thing is that also having all those tools has been good for me because helps me to think outside of the box all the time. And as a not native English speaker, sometimes in New Zealand, you need to be really creative to get your message across. You know, especially when you don't have too much time and then you don't have too much time for explanation. So you need to have, use your resources, you need to design activities, games, or anything that can help you maybe with less words to get your message across, you know? So... Yeah, I like to. I like. I'm really curious about different sports and different kinds of coaching, different kinds of disciplines, because that will. I think that all the time, for any conversation, for anything I read, every video I watch, I can take something that I can apply with my coaching. You know, so yeah, I'm curious because of that reason. A constant, you know, desire to improve. I, I, talking of video you've watched, uh, it comes from from what we were talking about uh, pre-show. Uh, it, it comes across that you're a real student of the game. You've gone back and you've you've been rewatching game tape of your players, not just from the preseason, but also from uh, from from last season as well. So the again, as you say, that constant thing about having to improve yourself and improve your viewers to how you do things uh, is, is coming through in your in your preparation as well, not just actually what you do on the pitch. Yeah, well. Oh. Most of the coaches these days, they have the resources and have the video camera or a video phone. You know, when you're talking about the amateur games and coaches, you know, with the phone, they, they record and give instant feedback or they get feedback. They, they get those files on the, on the laptop and then go through them uh, later. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I am I'm definitely more a student of the scrum that more than, than the game. I have to say that. Sometimes people catch me, you know, on the laptop watching scrums from the Premiership, watching scrums from Super Rugby, and they're, they're all the all the things that they listen from from my office is crouch, bind, set all the time, you know. And I'm a firm believer that you, the more you watch things and you try to get another point of view and and watch it again, so you see another thing. Sometimes you watch one scrum and you focus on the front row. And sometimes you watch another scrum and you're focusing on the locks. The same, sorry, the same scrum and you're watching focusing on the locks. So. Every time, the more repetitions you get on that, I think you, you have more chances of getting new stuff or new cues or seeing things different. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the reason with the, with the, some coaches have been talking about scrummaging, you know, in England, you know, this last couple of days, we were talking about some some things from the locks. So how you deal with the difference in the heights of the front row. So we had, for example... Uh, you know, last year we had Ben May, which is a really tall prop, and then we had Joel Hintz with a really short prop. So, you know, through watching trainings, I, I could see what was the, the knock-on effect or the domino effect that that had on the locks. You know, so that's the, most, the valuable thing of having your things on tape, that you can go back, have a look, you know, and maybe, you know, plan for, for the future or maybe solve problems, because at the end of the day, you had it before, you know. So you've got? Uh, do you use drones as well to get an overhead view, or do you just use, um, or do you just use ground ground-based cameras? Well, we have a, a really legend as an analyst uh, here in Hawke's Bay, Stephen. So, and he's very good with me. So, all all the scrum sessions where we do, he has one view from each side of the scrum, yep. and then he puts the drone up, you know, all the time. So, you know, most of the trainings we have 
three three angles of the camera, which is really really good because you can spot something one side that you're not spotting. But probably the problem is in the other side of the scrum, you know. And then probably you know if you don't have the overview, the over the top view, you're not spotting some angle that's coming that's causing the problem. So yeah, I'm 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 very lucky in that way to having you know the analyst that does all the job for you, you know. So have you ever dropped a drone on top of the scrum? No, no, not yet. Good. No, yeah. Thank God. The um, yeah, because I mean, if you go to if you watch um, the Super Rugby games at Eden Park, you can hear the drone taking off uh, from the the back pitch, but it doesn't come over the crowd because it's not allowed to in case it does fall out of the sky. Um, Uh So they have they have it up, and uh, so that that, that was good. Uh, And I must must be watching the. Uh, I don't know if you've watched any of the Global Rapid Rugby, but I, I went to the pre-season game between the China Lions and um, uh, Samoa... Oh, I've forgotten the name of their team now. Uh, Manu Matt Samoa. Uh, it's a bird from Samoa. Um, and yeah, they, during that, they, the, they, they, had, they had a drone up. But um, I think the drone only flew for about about 10 minutes. So they had to... They had these two... These two two ladies who would be running off uh, and getting new batteries and putting new batteries into it all the time. But anyway, um, <laughs> you need to plan. <laughs> you need to plan exactly. That. <laughs> um, that's interesting that you have because I remember talking to the analyst down at Taranaki about three, two or three years ago, and he was saying it was they occasionally put the put the drone up, but not on a not a, not all not on a consistent basis. But it sounds like yeah, you you guys have gone have gone the full hog and and, and have it on a regular basis. That's interesting to hear. Um, Gives the, you another set of eyes, mate. You know, that's the thing. Gives you even not not just scrummaging. You know, for you know face play or whatever defense or whatever. If you have the, you have you can see the alignment of the players much better than from any other angle. So yeah, it's, 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 if you have it, makes sense that you know fly it and put it up. <laughs> yeah. The um, and yeah, we we had a chat last week. Uh, and folks, if you want to have an armchair's guide to scrummaging, uh, then. Go back and listen to that. It's on, it's on at uh, drivingmall.com. Um, but um, yeah, that whole angles thing is a big thing, isn't it? It's the that's uh, that the different players are doing, not just the, the props, but also, as you say, your locks because you've got your different heights of, of, of players. Um, I remember one uh, season, um, Gloucester got their recruitment wrong because they'd they got some, oh, I think it was a Foa who was an all black. Uh, in the middle, they had um, big blonde pair. British and Irish Lions, and they had a full international prop uh, um, front row, but because they were different heights, they didn't work together well in the scrum. Um, mm-hmm. So, did this when you're talking about recruitment? Do you ever talk with the head coach and say, "Hey, guys, we um, I, I don't want any uh, five foot four props. I, I need six foot. Six, I need six foot four props." Or do you do, is, is, does does the physical size of a prop um, alter selection or uh, or getting involved? Uh, uh-huh. in for for me, it's not it's not that important how tall the props are. For me, it's if they can scrum and they have the right mentality and they're you know easy to coach. Um, of course, <clears throat> a bigger body and a taller prop is going to be probably better for lineup time for when they lift. You know that's why you know uh, kind of the shorter prop has gone out of the game, started slowing you know going out of the game because you know they need to you know lift also. But then for them, if he's really short, strong, and technical, you know, technically very good 
uh, scrummaging probe, they, they are better because the center of mass is closer to the ground, so they are hard to move, you know. A good example of that is Joel Hintz, the place from Hawke's Bay. <clears throat> um, but it, when it comes to re for, for recruitment, uh, no, I, I'm not too picky. You know, I will get, you know, whatever we have there and, and I'll make it better, mate, you know. As long as the boys can scrum and they want to scrum and they love it, you know, for me, you know, I don't, I don't have a personal preference, to be honest, mate. I think, you know, a tall prop or a short prop, they all have their space in the scrummaging side. Um, then, yes, it can create some imbalances, you know, with the locks, but it's other ways to solve in that. Okay. The, um, and uh, so you're mentioning there that uh, the, the, there's discussions going on amongst uh, uh, scrum coaches around different heights of locks uh, and, 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 and things. So how much... Uh, you said because another thing you said pre pre thing was that you're spending a lot of time on discussion forums or or discussion calls with other scrummaging um, coaches. Uh, how much sharing of information is there amongst all the amongst all the coaches? And uh, how, much, how much do you try and sort of protect your own IP? The thing is, mate. I think um, well, in New Zealand, I think it's better than most of the world in sharing information. I think most of the, the coaches over here are really really open and they share everything basically and i think that's the right approach why because <clears throat> nobody's gonna do things exactly the same as you do it so if you have an idea of anything and you tell me i would probably try to implement it and i'll probably do it differently you know so that's one and the other one uh, the other thing uh, i think <clears throat> the, the more so you have if you have an idea the more chances you have to put that idea on, on, on action, the better it is, because then you know if it works or not. So if I, for example, you're another scrum coach, and I'll tell you, okay, this bind is working really well for me, because this is this and this and reason, and then you go and do it with your boys, and you say, yeah, it works really good. Or you can say, no, it didn't work for me, because probably, you know, my prop was too short or too tall, or they were just not comfortable enough, you know? So, um, in, as, you know, coming back to your question, I think in New Zealand is very good. So you see, for example, yesterday I was on the Instagram and Jace Ryan was having a chat with the one coach in France, and they talk about anything. Then you talk to Mike Cron. Mike Cron is open all the time. He will tell you whatever you ask. You talk to Dan Cron at the Hurricanes. He's also open. You know, he talks. You know, I had chats with Ben Afiaki last year. You know, from the Blues, and he, that's. I think that's really, really good. And now that's is starting to go around the world with that idea. And I think one of I know that one of the biggest um, reasons that New Zealand is so good in rugby is because they all share this information, and you know that gives a chance to players to be coached better, and they become better players. Um, I don't think to, if so. If if you contact the coaches around the world, especially at scrum time, I don't think there's any point of not sharing whatever you. You you know you you know because the, the other thing is that it's always changing, man. You know, one one year you know you have one law, and then next year you have a different law, and it changes. And then you know the way the referee scrum over here is different with the way the referee scrum in France or in England. So you know, what's the point, man? You know, just go. You know, get the more ideas you can, share with the world. You know, if they're good enough, they're gonna come back to you and tell you, oh yeah, they're good. You know, so. You know. I guess the 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 other thing on uh, is that. You only have well, or the, you only have your super players for about four or five months of the year, and the rest of the time they're with a different set of coaches. Um, so when when they come back from 
know, the the Hurricanes or from or, or I'm not sure where, where you are or, or the Chiefs. Do you sit down the uh, your, your props and your hookers and go, okay, guys, tell me what you learned last season from so I can so I can uh, you know, kind of mine them for information that they've got from their super super coaches. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm I'm actually most of the time in contact with them anyway. You know, during right. the super rugby season, asking them, you know, what's what's going on, and they give me the, the feedback. You know, I'm binding differently. I'm doing this and doing that. And then when they come officially, you know, after after the super rugby season, I of course I have a meeting with them and tell my boys, you know, what's 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 your thoughts on things you know this is the way we've been training what do you think about that because you need to get the buy-in from them if you get the buy-in the buy-in is the key of uh, of, of you know having doing something uh, with purpose and doing it properly mm-hmm. so yeah of course yeah. And i think that's also another reason why new zealand's got such good coaches is because you have if if you come up with something uh, revolutionary this season by next season because half your players have gone off and mixed with a whole bunch of other players and then all those other players have gone back to different teams. Every other team knows your secret because it kind of <laughs> because of players. Yeah. Whereas in in Europe, the players play in the same team the whole time. So if you have something revolutionary that people can't spot, you can actually make uh, you can make gains out of that for two or three seasons. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas here, it lasts for for one season because of all that mixing of the players. Um, and I think it takes a while. Yeah, the, the I, good ideas spread around a lot quicker mm. um, in New Zealand because of that. I think. Um, Definitely. So it it seems like you're you're as you say an, an absolute um, uh, student of the game, a student of the scrum. Does that mean your your ambitions are to stay in scrummaging, or do you or or you and, and to sort of make your way up through the the grades, or do you want to just go from a scrum coach to a forwards coach to a head coach? What's what's your what's your uh, career goals at the moment? Well, um, <laughs> that's a good question, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm not too sure. I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, I love rugby. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a rugby coach. You know, um, I love all the areas of the game. I, th- uh, I would love to stay in my speciality, my area of expertise for a couple of seasons. Um, and then who knows? But I want to coach as high as I can. And uh, I work every day, and I prepare every day to to get to the next level. Um, probably, you know, being a specialist, a scrum coach has given me, you know, the chance to be where I am now. But, you know, I'm not too sure to be honest. You know, I love the scrums, and I want to stay here for a bit. But then a forwards, definitely a forwards coach would be, you know, a nice thing. Forwards coach, who I, will, I will try to get and you know do the lineups also because that's other area I like and mauling. I love mauling also. Um, but then as a head coach, who knows, mate? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I'm no, I can't answer that question at the moment, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's actually that's one of the things I've not. Uh, what is the remit of a forwards coach? I mean, so obviously you just mentioned that obviously it's scrum line up more, um, but does does rucking come under come under the forwards or does that come under attacking and defence coaches? What uh, kind of where where it where's that line between the sort of forwards coach and then the attack coach or the defence coach? Uh, that, that varies about you know the coaching team you have. Um, it's it's depends. Uh, usually, when you're a scrum coach, you you look after mauling. Sorry, so when you're a forwards coach, you, you coach you look after mauling, scrummaging, and lineouts as a main area of responsibility. But then, if you're good at the breakdown. 
probably you go in there, you know. If you're good at other things, you know, you, you go in there also. Uh, that's kind of, a, you have racking, you have counter-racking defense and you have, you know, the breakdown in attack. It's, it's you know, um, an attack coach and a defense coach can do it. But For example, us in the Bay, uh, we have Simsy, which is defense coach, and also breakdown. He's very, very good at breakdown at defense and also does the lineups. You know, he's he's a for main forwards coach. Mm-hmm. He also does defense and the breakdown is his area of expertise. But that changed. You know, when I was in England, it was different. You know, one one of the coaches did just the forwards and then the other coach was doing all the rest. You know, it's, it's, it varies on, on you know, your coaching team and then who looks after what. But then at the end of the day, mate, everyone has their opinion in all the areas of the game because of the same thing that you were mentioning before. Your more brains thinking about that is better than just you thinking about that. Someone can think and spot things different than you do. So if they give you feedback, which is even better, you know? Yeah, and it was also interesting. I I remember hearing um, uh, Laurie, the the guy at the Brumbies, um, uh, who, um, Laurie Fisher, and he was saying how that actually the way they split up their coaching team was okay. so that they could actually run two defensive patterns at the same time. So even oh, if someone really? was if someone was actually the defence coach, um, but because they all worked together and talk, discussed things together, they could run the same drill. Because obviously, you know, um, I was talking with um, uh, Dale McLeod down at uh, Southland. He's got fifty-one players or something like that. I think it was fifty-two players. So if you've got that many at a training session, you can run multiple things and if you wanted to do defense you can just run defense um you don't have to have half the team doing defense, half the team doing attack if you've got your coaches talking together so it's it's interesting how as you say different coaching setups will the chemistry there alters how you can what, what, what you can do well yeah i think that transferring into any aspect of life or any yeah. trade in, in human activity you know you, you have a team that works together the better they can liaise and know each other and split you know the areas of responsibility and the way they do things is even better. But you need to have, um, you know, over here we have very good leadership from the CEO and then from the head coach, Mark Olsic, which is very good and makes things very easy to everybody. And then, you you know, me as a scrum coach and then Simsy, you know, is the other one. We talk all the time. We're in the office. You know, we they ask my opinion. They, I ask the opinion to, to the other guys about, you know, the scrummaging. And then we have also, you know, so in, in rugby specifically, it's very, in any team sport, it's really, you know, important to work with the players. We have our leadership groups, our scrum group, our lineup group. Or, so you need also the feedback from them, you know. And and the, and the, and the, and the bigger the report is with players and other coaches and other, and your, your peers, the better it's going to be, you know. It's, they're going to trust you, you know, the better it's going to be. That's the end. You know, that's as simple as that. <laughs> I think one of the things you you keyed on earlier was that you you, you like any size um, player as long as they're enthusiastic for scrummaging um, and they and they're willing to learn. Laurie Fisher also said one of the reasons that the Brumbies are good at lineup malls is because they deliberately hire or bring in people into the squad who enjoy malls. They don't train it that much, but they enjoy doing it, and that's that's that, that that's the big thing. If you have a focus, is getting players who enjoy doing what you want them to do. I think is a big is, is that's a big it. thing. That's the key, mate. That's the key. So that's why, for example, back in the day, not not so much these years. You know, teams in Europe tend to get props from one Argentina because they had a reputation of liking scrummaging and Georgians. Remember, there was a time they had a lot of Georgians in France and England. Yeah, because those boys wanted to scrum. You know, so yeah, 
it's it's like I don't know, mate. If if you want a dancing partner, probably you're gonna get a girl from Central America, not a girl from, you know. Then you go because you know what I mean, you know. So yeah, because it's it tends to be that in from that country the culture goes around, you know, you know something, you know, from dancing. Uh, it's like the same with the Kiwis and rugby, you know. People, you know, when they think about New Zealand or they, you know, think about New Zealand players, they assume that they're gonna be have decent players, which is basically most of the cases is true because they've been brought up with this sport and they know a lot of the sport. So it is like that. So you need to, I agree with you, sometimes, you know, the best, you know, in scrums particularly, the, the best scrummaging teams are not the biggest or the strongest guys are the guys that like it more than one and more, you know? And that's also one thing that you have to coach, the mentality. You know, you want to, you know, you want to make them love what they do because it's really, really important. It's not the bright. I mean, it's not. It's not where you get all the lights and all the, you know, the rewards right away. It's not the the offloads are not there. You, you know, but but you know, scrummaging without a good scrum, you're not gonna go anywhere, mate. And then the the best example is the the, the World Cup final, mate. The best example. South Africa just out scrum England out of the park, and that was it. That was done for the English team. Done, mate, you know. Well, so you, you as a British fan, you know it, right? <laughs> I think you're part of the vanguard of, uh, of of Chilean and Brazilian props who are, and scrummagers that are going to come over because having seen the way that uh, the New Zealand Maori um, were, were, were given a hard time on their tour two years ago to Brazil and to Chile, I think there's a lot of good uh, uh, forwards to come out of those to come out of those countries in the near future. So mm-hmm. the um, so yes, yeah, so I think you are the first. And, and, and the trailblazer um, for, for for a lot of for, for a lot of those. Thank you very much. It has been a, fanta- a fascinating talk, um, hearing about your journey, and uh, it's been, been some really interesting places. Uh, and can, and really wish you the best of luck in your coaching career, and uh, yeah, to go all the way basically to the top. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you for the invitation. That's awesome. And thank you everyone who's watching. Uh, don't forget to like, subscribe, um, and all of that kind of stuff on whichever channel you're watching this on, because we're available on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, as well as coming out as a podcast here on New Zealand uh, Sport Radio. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out of pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 